All right, we're back. Part two, club foot and the tree stand incident. We all want to know about this club foot guy. Yeah. Lay on the line here. Where we left off, club foot, the infamous club foot, had climbed up his stand. We're watching him climb his stand from our stand. We, meaning me and dad. We're in our stand three quarters of a mile away, watching across the valley. This guy named Clubfoot sling over a rusty rifle with a rope sling over his shoulder and start climbing up his jankety tree stand that he made out of plywood and stuff. Well, not even kidding, dude. Dad's like, look at him. He's literally talking about how much of an idiot he is because of some previous experience. I can't remember. Every time you meet him, there's something. something, And there's some memory that he has that just makes you go, "Ah." he gets like, 12 feet up and the dude stops climbing turns around and looks behind him and he slips and he falls he falls straight pops off the back of the ladder you see his arms flailing falls like 10 to 12 feet straight on his back oh boom rifle goes off dude shoot straight and off in the valley first thing dad says is god dang it club foot scares the life out of me because i'm staring at this guy he's not moving i think he like shot himself or something after a few seconds he finally starts moving we hear muffled voice from a distance but it doesn't sound like he's like screaming or crying it sounds like he's cursing so he stands up yeah he stands up and dad starts talking crap on him and what does he do he starts walking towards our stand it's like, it's barely, barely sun, barely visible. Prime deer, time prime time deer moving. moving. Yeah. And Clubfoot's like, well, I'm going to go tell them what happened as if we couldn't see and hear <laughs> what just happened. The man almost killed himself two different ways at the same time. First of all, carrying an, a loaded safety off rifle on his back while climbing a tree stand is a big no-no for all those yeah, that don't know. If you're know. not locked in car, yeah. then you're just not ready to rock, all I right? Mean, who knows? Maybe he was waiting for someone up in that tree stand. I don't know. <laughs> but I watched him almost kill himself that day. I couldn't believe it. That's the infamous club foot. The only time I've been out hunting with him, all right, or next to him, I guess, me and dad were up in the tree stand. He was a little ways off in his stand. And I swear, before even 7 a.m., we heard at least 12 to 15 gunshots. We don't know <laughs> what the hell he was shooting at. I doubt he hit anything. And this is a bolt action rifle. So, you know, he went through them and then reloaded a couple yeah. times to get the job like done. Like a, unfortunate, like a school shooter. The dude was reloading. We don't know. What. Like the tower shooter. Yeah. It's insane. Who's a hard man to, to hunt with if he's, you know, waking up the whole forest in five seconds? Not to mention, anytime he heard a gunshot, he would automatically assume it came from us in our stand. You gotta get one! So he either yells or you see him start climbing down his stand and Dad would be like, no, dang it, stay up there, club Shut foot. up and get back! Dang it, no! And you see him start walking, you know in about five to ten minutes he's gonna eventually make his way appear through the brush, come to the bottom of your stand and start hollering and hooping. You guys get something every time, every time. This is someone, folks, that you 
you don't want to go hunting with. This is someone that once you see their habits or behavior one time, you don't really want to put yourself in those kind of positions uh, where you could be the one getting shot or having to deal with someone that's shot in the middle of the woods because I don't want to have to deal with someone that fell out of a tree stand and shot themselves in the head. I believe we were hunting on it was either his family's land. That's why we had to put up with them. I think that's the only that reason why yep. dad was yep. putting up with them because we got the free hunting land, you see. I'm pretty sure he lived in the house behind them. Or something yeah. like that, yeah. And it was it was his family. I can't remember if it was his parents or what that owned the land, but yeah, you're right. It was his family and I'm not sure if he was honestly capable of like living on his own and holding a job and stuff. So I'm pretty sure it. he had to have a caretaker and, you know, maintain his yeah. behavior. He definitely was on a spectrum. So we're not here to make fun of him no, for that. No, 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 He brought good <laughs> memories to me and made yes. me smile thinking about him. So. He killed deer too. Yeah, he slayed a couple I, times. I remember, I remember many times he did shoot deer. He just had a itchy trigger finger. He, <laughs> sometimes he'd squeeze off a few times at yeah. a deer. He I mean, honestly, I'm a little envious because he's been hunting with my dad more than I have been. Oh, which, yeah. Which kind of stinks on my end. But, yep. you know, I can't say a bad word about him. So. Yeah, he... He for sure must have been that that really good-hearted guy that everyone, you know, really liked. But they knew his situation. Uh, but that's, you know, that's that's the beauty of the outdoors and hunting, camping, hiking, fishing, backpacking, whatever you're doing outside. If you bring just someone else with you, that experience is infinitely better. Share the experience, always memorable. Even if nothing happens, you're going to remember it. It's one of them things. So, And particularly if you have someone nowadays like kids, if they're in that, you know, five to ten range, get them outside. Man, get them outside as best and as much as you can. Not only for the vitamin D and the fresh air, but just the experiences. It's It's sad to think. That most kids that I walk around had nothing of the childhood that we had. Right. And the lessons that we had to learn at a young age, they might never learn. Or they learn at age 30 or 40 or 50. And it's simple lessons like preservation and conservation of animals. You know, being nice to nature in all forms. You don't, just because you have the ability and the means to go out and fill your freezer up doesn't mean that you have to get it all done in one trip you know it there are there's a method to this madness of methodic killing i'll call it and hunting because it takes so much skill and patience of course depending on what you're going after what game you're going after that'll change you know some some game, small game in particular, can be much easier. So you're much more successful when you're hunting, you know, squirrels and things like that yeah. versus large game. But the connection with large game is undeniable. You, I'd be hard-pressed to find a big, strong, burly man that hasn't shed at least a little tear when they've shot that deer that they were just staring at nothing in the woods. And then all of a sudden, this majestic creature comes out of nowhere. And it... It's a weird experience because you want it to remain living and beautiful, but you also know 
your job here as a steward of the earth, you know, as a shepherd of the animals, you need to be a caretaker. And part of that goes into control and hunting and conservation. Right. And that's a hard truth that some people don't want to be involved in. Hey, I get it. I respect your decision. But if you eat meat, I don't respect your decision. I strongly feel that anyone that eats meat and chooses to eat meat at some point, you need to be accountable at least one time. Go out with a hunter. You don't have to kill anything. You don't have to hunt yourself. Just go out with it. Experience the process so you can be a part of that whole experience. So you know how it happens. So you don't get such a negative light. Or if you still have negative opinions, that's fine. You at least can say you tried it. You took a part of it. And you know what it's about and you don't approve. That's fine. But to you know, purposely choose ignorance is stupidity. And no one really wants to do that. If we want to make educated decisions and choices for ourselves daily, you should probably get all the facts that you can before. And I just challenge anyone to find find someone that you can link up with to go and experience nature. Even if they're not hunting, if you just go sit in the woods from morning until lunchtime and just sit quietly and observe nature, it's a beautiful experience. You'll love it. And then maybe in the future, you'll contemplate going on a hunting trip. Um, I definitely would start small, start small game. It's much easier to process emotionally, especially for me. It's still a sad process, but it's much easier to deal with. It's not, not as big of a deal now. Um, but I kind of do a, a weird ritual. If I ever, if I ever have to, uh, hunt an animal small or large. Now I always take a few minutes moment of silence. No one's allowed to talk, but generally I'm alone, but I sit down with the animal and I talk to it and I kind of thank it. Um, maybe it does something, maybe it doesn't, but it's just more of a humbling experience for my own sake to keep me remembering what it's all about and not to ever go overboard, you know, and hunt too much or to make sure that I'm constantly a part of it. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm sure that it's pretty I, similar. I, I do. I do the same thing. I uh, more or less say a little prayer, you know, thanking it for its existence and to kind of pass it on to me and then me using it as, you know, obviously to stock my freezer and keep my family fed. But yeah, I mean, I, I I understand what you're saying when it comes to small game. I've been rabbit hunting many times with a buddy, and he he brought his dogs. He had a cute little beagle that had the shortest little legs. It was it was adorable. <laughs> but he'd just go through and just round them all up. And like you said, the the small small game doesn't seem to kind of phase you. You know, you're taking multiple at a time. It, it feels more like food. And it's just it's just kind of. yeah, it's just food with legs, you know. But. And not to mention the skill and time involved is much less than going after a large game. So you're not as invested. But when you see a beautiful, innocent animal that's as large as humans can be, you know, as like smaller humans, it definitely does something. So it's it's for sure a more emotional experience. Right. Uh, it's a deeper connection. So it's easy to see the connection that – native americans had why they thought that spirits were and 
everything, you know, like in, in everything in trees and plants and animals, it's very easy to see their reverence. And I totally respect that. I may not agree or believe the exact same way, but I definitely believe in their principles of how of sustainable hunting. And I know that not all, we're not talking about every group, every, every group has done, you know, some sort of atrocities to animals, um, including native populations with massive buffalo and bison slaughters, which is very popular. And it was just one of those things. Um, yeah, there's been many species wiped off this planet just yeah. due to overhunting and no regulations yeah. and no conservation and people just going absolutely crazy over it. And we almost lost our entire North American waterfowl yeah. in the early 1900s because they had all sorts of things like scatter guns that were massive. You're talking 10 and 20 foot long barrels sometimes that they had massive cones on the end and they would shoot scatter shot and they would drop an entire flock yeah. of geese Knock in the sky, sky and duck. And what happened was because of this intervention from society and hunters that weren't doing this, they recognized that preservation was necessary or we were about to lose not only just these species of waterfowl, but everything that is involves in their ecosystem, you know, and connected. With yes. Them. If they're not there, then something yeah. else is not going to be fed or, you know what I mean? It's just, everything's chained to something else. So if you take out one link, that chain's useless. So we had an organization called Ducks Unlimited. And I believe it might've been started with Mexican officials. I'm not positive on this, but we'll, we'll review it and research it and talk about it in the future. Um, but Ducks Unlimited is a very long standing organization that's done conservation, just solid gold. I don't know if there honestly has been an organization that's done more positive results for environment than Ducks Unlimited. They single handedly brought back waterfowl and marshlands to North America. They brought back habitats all across the country. They've designated zones. They constantly raise money. They're in most universities and colleges. You know, you can get involved locally. If you don't have one, you can get a chapter started um, and actually make a difference in your area. I mean, this is a great organization. If even if you don't want to be involved in hunting, here you go. This is your end in organizations like this that have a track record of success. And I choose to support organizations like that, even though I'm not a waterfowl hunter myself. I've been to three Ducks Unlimited events. You know, I've bid at some of the charity events. I've won auctions. I appreciate what they're doing. So I choose to support that on top of the permits that, you know, you and I buy ourselves individually, small game, resident fishing permits, you know, deer tags, sometimes turkey permits. Uh, these are all things that they give so much back in little ways that it's very easy to not see how your five or $10 donation helps, but you know how many hunters we have in our state of Missouri, you know, millions. So if they go out and hunt, everybody buys a $10 tag one season, you make enough tax money to do a lot of good for conservation and habitats and, I mean, shoot, how many conservation areas do you know of within a 30-mile radius of us? I could name you six. Yeah. 
which not every state's like this. No. Which we could just be in a rich part of the land, you know, as far as, I mean, we, we're kind of in the plateaus, but we've got a little bit of everything. Lakes, mainly a lot of rivers. Yeah, we have so many, we have woodland, so much fresh water. Fresh water, absolutely. But it's Pretty preserved diverse. and maintained, and it was set up like this from the beginning so that conservation was key to our state because of our history of our state. Our, our state, Missouri, is obviously known for agriculture. Right. Agriculture and manufacturing and industry were very, very good at factories and farming. Um, that's just what Missouri's done. Um, so anything that involves preserving nature, we generally do pretty well. We've done pretty well in the past, and I, I hope we continue to do well for our state. Um, I see a lot of other great states that do well. Like, for instance, Arkansas, Arkansas is yeah. one of the most beautiful escapes that we go to very the often to camp. State, right? Yeah, and it's <laughs> you understand immediately. When you stop at even one conservation area, a park or overlook, why they call it the natural state. You're, I mean, the majesty of the views is breathtaking, but the cleanliness of everything is incredible too. For instance, we camped at Sam's Throne, which is outside of Jasper, Arkansas, on Mount uh, Judea, and Every campsite, there were 16 sites. Every campsite, the park rangers put a rick of split firewood for each camper. Mm. And there was only three campers there. It was us and two other campers, and we are on separate sides. So they just stock yeah. loose firewood, which is something that you know we hear from other states. They have very poor conservation management, land management, such as you know California. We hear a lot about their wildfires and mismanagement of land and dead wood and debris the importance of getting rid of it and not just big massive bonfires which seems kind of like a waste when you could do many things you could chip it and give it to local landscaping companies for mulch to sell or use you could do what arkansas does this one thing i'm sure they do more but they use a lot of dead wood and they split it and they pack campsites by the fire so that you don't have to go and destroy wood, cut down their trees, uh, risk a ticket, do things like that. You take care of dead wood that's dropped. They have it stacked and split for you. So it benefits everybody. This kind of management of, you know, caretaker mentality where you, you actually look after the next person at your site. Right. You know, it's a very biblical thing. It's what Jesus did for the disciples. He instructed them multiple times to, split enough wood for the next people coming through the site or plow the field and sow it so that the people passing through will have some food on their journey. Why? It's all about the mentality of, you know, preservation and conservation, caring for other people and nature. That mentality kind of goes over in all walks of life. And when you start practicing it in just nature, I strongly feel that it bleeds off into other aspects of your life um, where you choose to go out of your way to do good works for someone else, whether it's just picking up someone else's trash. Or just not being a slob yourself. Yeah. You know, cleaning up after yourself. Yeah. Make the place look better than it was before you. you know? Yeah. You know, pack in, pack out, leave no trace is very real, but I believe in doing more than that. Not only leave no trace, but if you see other people's stuff, you should 100% 
hikers, hunters, fishermen, any outdoors enthusiast, if you aren't packing a trash bag or Walmart sack in your backpack, do yourself a favor and do it on your next trip. Also pack one in your car. Keep trash in it so you can make sure that you account for all your trash and make sure it gets deposited appropriately. There's nothing more disheartening than trying to enjoy a beautiful view and seeing a sonic cup. Yeah, or a metal yellow bottle. Yeah, a hundred miles away from civilization. It's, It's no doubt that if I were ever stranded on a desert island, it doesn't matter. I'd more than likely find fishing line, tackle, yeah. a tackle box, beer can, you know, a pot, maybe even a car battery. It's ridiculous the amount of trash that people intentionally go out of their way to, you know, hide in trash. And again, this it's that mentality, leave no trace, take care of your neighbors. You know, if you haven't seen them in a few days, go check on them. You know, if you haven't seen your family or talk to them in a week or two, you should send them a text. Like, I'll send you a text randomly, even if it's just a... 10 seconds. Yeah, now just to see. It doesn't, it doesn't take a bunch, but I, I honestly learned that from Joey Diaz and his mentality. His older age and wisdom through all of his crazy life experiences taught him to call people and check on people all the time. And due to our experiences at an early age, losing our father... We definitely know, call people, check on people, just shoot a text because you never know how they're feeling. Sometimes you just want to talk to someone too, and that's your way of talking to them. But you also don't know what kind of position someone else is in. And just a little, hey, what's up? I don't know if you know if you want to go do something in the next couple of days, we can go and uh, head outside, have a bonfire and cook some food or something or go fishing. Man, I tell you what. I'm obsessed with fishing. I admittedly love it more than hunting. Well, obviously, because I'm more successful when I fish. Yeah. But I... I need to get back out of it. I got burned out too much. I went yeah. every other day, and I just... I just tired of carrying all the crap, all the tack, all the junk. Well, that's, I just that's got burned problem. out of it. Stick, stick to a couple things, like a top water, a bottom, and a mid-bait. Have like one or two of each, throw it in a small, small little fanny pack or a small backpack and do what I do. Carry all your tackle in just one backpack, a couple terminal tackle, like some weights, some hooks, maybe a bobber, and then carry like one rod, a medium action bait caster or a spinning rod, you know, light action. I generally carry spinning rod if I'm doing river fishing because you can catch, you know, a couple pounds smallmouth or largemouth bass on two to four pound monos what I use, you know. Baitcaster, braid generally 10 to 12 pounds around here. But yeah, we can go fishing sometime. I, I've just been intentionally fishing hard to fish places because over pandemic, that's all I've done. And I was really successful. Caught a snapping turtle. That was like 30 wow. pounds in snapping turtle season. Got to take that home with the permit and harvest that. That was interesting. But Soup. Yeah, I, I did. I made soup. Turtle, soup. turtle soup. They have up to six different colors of meat on the turtle. Hmm. So it's very interesting. You're talking chicken to frog to rabbit uh, in texture. Um, the flavors really lean, really collagen and cartilage. So the longer you cook it, the lower and slower, the better. So soups or roasts. 
uh, generally are good. Um, man, I was. Can you ever use the shell? Or I anything? have the shell. You could definitely use it for some. For ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know the legality of selling tortoise shell and things like that. So that, that's another thing you have to get, make yeah. sure you're not. You know, there's all sorts of laws, folks. Not just on you may be able to hunt something, but you definitely need to look into manufacturing of any of their products uh, for sale. Uh, for personal use, that's you know one thing, but for sale, that might involve other other permissions you need to get. You know, I don't know. Um, and legalities obviously are different for every locality, so every state's going to be different. And um, but anyway, with fishing. Um, there's one place that I've been going to that is so overfished and summertime into fall, the hydrilla and pads grow up so much that 60% of the lake gets covered in grass. So you have one of two options. You either long cast to the center on a heavy bomb bobber. Drag all that crap in whenever you're reeling in. (laughs) Or you punch through the grass mat. And the fish are hiding under that grass mat, so you got to have like a two or two ounce or above uh, lead weight so you can punch it. through the mat. Yeah. yeah, that that generally helps. Um, but I caught I caught a five pound um, largemouth on a live bluegill out there under a bobber. I also caught a couple one and two pound smallmouth and one one and a half pound channel cat. Otherwise, it's mostly just bluegill and, you know, brim and stuff. There's tons of carp out there. Massive carp. Golden carp, Asian carp, grass carp. Um, I haven't fished them yet. They they take a different kind of bait. Um, generally, the most common is like a pack bait. You're talking like corn, gelatin, and panko breadcrumbs. Um, and it, it works real well. You pack it around a lead. You get a little hook with a fake corn stick it in it carp will swallow it mm-hmm. wait for him to swallow and snag, then yep yeah. snag them out uh well, we used that's to go my next to, uh roaring river back in the day in Cassville, where they uh they actually will stock it for season with the huge just beautiful trout just absolutely oh, yeah. beautiful trout yeah and you know you'll be shoulder to shoulder with people, which kind of stinks. But once you get your limit, you get bell, out of the way and yeah. people fill in. Yeah, you hit your three. It's, I mean, it's so it's it's, it's always a fun experience. And I got into fly fishing. Yeah, too, I got into fly fishing over pandemic and got myself a decent rod and reel, totaling maybe three hundred ish dollars, three four hundred bucks total for the rod and reel, and I love it. It's so simplistic. It's a totally different way of fishing. Mm-hmm. I like all of them for each use. I'm not going to just exclusively do one though. Cause there's right. times where, man, I like fishing everything. The fish just aren't biting one thing. You got to try something else, oh. but we're going to get to wrapping this up. Um, so the moral of the story <laughs> with hunting, find someone a little more responsible than a club foot to follow you around. Dang it. Club foot. Tell you what club foot. He's a good guy. Rest in peace. Hopefully you're still alive. But if you're not, rest in peace. The memories will always be there. I'll never forget. Uh, we'll talk maybe more about him in the future. But that was a good second podcast to recap that first and finish it off. Um, I have been Grant. I'm Tyler. 
And this is the Beard Bros Campfire Fun, fun time. time.